Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Hello, Utah Street! Five, four, three, two, one. Hello, everyone, and welcome into the Mass and All Access podcast. Bobby Blanco here joining you from the safety of my home in Washington, D.C. Thank you so much for making us a part of your Wednesday afternoon. Hopefully, we are the bridge between last weekend, a good weekend for the Nationals, and the upcoming holiday weekend, a Memorial Day weekend, a, uh, a little extra time off for you folks at home, a little extra time to watch some baseball. If you're joining us live on uh, Facebook, YouTube, or Twitter, uh, be sure to comment along. We love taking your comments. And if not, hopefully you're checking us after the fact on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. I'm going to bring in my co-host, Amy Jennings, who once again is wearing a similar outfit to me. Amy pointed it out to me when you joined on the Zoom call. I, I mean, this is a guy to be at least three weeks in a row, right? Yeah, I don't know what it is. I guess we just roll out of bed on podcast days. We're like in the same mood, feeling the same vibes. I don't know what it is, but we have we have something going on here uh, through this Mass and All Access podcast. I think I said the other day, uh, like a week or two ago, that I usually dress with the weather, and it's been uh, kind of nice and sunny for so far today, so I was like, I'll, I'll wear a white polo with some stripes. Um, and it looks like you had the same idea. Yeah. Um, so that's like, uh, it's not even that we're both wearing white. It's both are white striped, too. It's right. Like, it's pretty pretty funny. I thought maybe you'd break out some Wizards gear today, Bobby. I don't have that much. The only like true Wizards gear I have is a John Wall jersey. Didn't really feel like breaking that out on, on the pod. I think this is... Yeah, I don't believe that's you. That's a little gray. Uh, I mean, I'll always root for John Wall, but um, I have a Wizards hat that didn't really feel like wearing. I have more on the way, though, because I actually thought about that. I was like, I don't have any Wizards gear to wear. So I did order a T-shirt. So I'm going to get a T-shirt sent to... It uh, should arrive today, actually. Hopefully in time for game two. Uh, to rock. Ooh, there you go. Yeah, but also maybe I, you'll be able to wear it next week. <laughs> maybe. I mean, hopefully, hopefully by next week they're still playing. Because I was saying, uh, you know, we should stop talking about the local teams every time we talk about a local team before yeah, we right. start talking about the Nationals. Something bad happens before the Washington Football Team. Uh, they uh, lost their playoff game. We talked about the Caps. Obviously, they lost in five. Uh, so hopefully, the Wizards can hang in there and beat the Sixers at least in one one more game. Uh, and not get swept, so we'll have some uh, more Wizards talk to talk about next week before our episode. Um, Amy, three-day weekend coming up. Any special plans? No, no. I'll still have to work on Monday, and honestly, until you just said that, I forgot it was a a long weekend. I forgot it was a holiday weekend. Um, So that kind of got me a little excited. You know, when you you hear something unexpected, and it's like, oh, that kind of just made my day. There you go, Bobby. You made my day. Um, Do do you have any special plans? Uh, No, not really. Um... Memorial Day is kind of always a quiet day for me, um, or a weekend, I should say. It's not really on my radar, like, uh, but that's typical for me. I'm uh, we're a big Fourth of July family, so we usually go to the beach for the Fourth. I usually am working over the weekend, so I think I'm covering the game tomorrow night, Friday night, and Sunday. I have Saturday and uh, Monday off, so hopefully, you know, I think I'm getting together with some family on Saturday, maybe see some friends on Monday, because you know everyone else who doesn't work in baseball obviously has the Monday off, yeah. or you know, in TV. Um, so, uh, it's supposed to be pretty bad weather this weekend too, which is kind of a bummer. Um, and the nationals are home for that, which sucks. So, you know, it might be a a good weekend to kind of just take it easy anyways, or to stay indoors and, and work. Yeah, Monday, Monday might come around. So there we go. Maybe we'll have one 
one good day of this holiday weekend. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think Friday is like a hundred percent chance of rain all night. And so like, I'm already maybe counting off, counting on, knock on wood, not to count my chickens before they hatch, but counting on the Nats game being postponed Friday night and having a quote unquote off night uh, if they get postponed to Saturday. Um, because it's supposed to, it's, I already, it's supposed to rain. It got worse as we're getting closer. Like earlier in the week, it was like 80% chance. Now it's like, I checked this morning. It's like 99% chance of rain mm. Friday night. So <laughs> That's not good. maybe I'll get a little, uh, yeah, it's not good, but maybe I'll get a little extra time off uh, if they get rained out early, if they call it early too. Uh, but yeah, no, we're a 4th of July week, uh, kind of family and kind of group. So looking forward to the July, that's when I'll probably take some time off. Uh, Memorial day weekend. I'm happy to hang out. You know, uh, us, you know what we do have though? Us Terps, the men lacrosse team, once again, making the Final Four uh, Memorial Day weekend. So they'll play Duke on Saturday before and hopefully make to the championship game on Monday. So that's something that we can look forward to. There uh, we go. You and I. Um, but, yeah, so uh, obviously a lot going on with the Nationals. They have they are in the middle of a long homestand, which is fun. They will be home, like I said, for this uh, holiday weekend. So if the weather holds up, um, if the Nationals – are able to kind of turn around and wake up their bats a little bit. It could be a fun time to go outside uh, and spend some time down in uh, in Southeast and, and, and catch a game at Nationals Park. Uh, they're hosting the Brewers this weekend, but before that, they got to face the Reds. We are going to get into today um, some conversations because the roster move was made yesterday. That brought up some questions. Uh, we're going to get into some a, a little greater of the organizational depth that the Nationals have and they're kind of battling. Um, and, of course, Sean Doolittle returned to Nats Park uh, on Tuesday night uh, for the first time. He got a nice warm welcome, of course, from the fans. He got some gifts from the Nationals, a, a great tribute video. So we'll have some clips of that playing in the background why Amy and I kind of talk about Sean's time in D.C. and if if he could have possibly helped this bullpen so far this season. And then to wrap up things, you're, I'm just going to let you guys listen to Sean. We'll shut up um, and I'll play. Like, of course, Sean Doolittle talk for like 30 minutes to reporters <laughs> on Sunday. Um, a lot about Star Wars, not totally about Star Wars. Uh, so I was going to let you guys listen to him talk about his memories from playing in DC. It's, 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 I got choked up. It's, it's good to kind of take a stroll. I know he's beloved in this town and by these, by this organization. So, uh, we'll, we'll end this episode with, uh, just Sean talking about looking forward to getting back to DC. Uh, but first, uh, Amy, I mean, you mentioned, uh, um, when we were getting ready for the show, you know, the Nats went silent this week uh, on, on, um, on Tuesday against the Reds after having a really strong weekend against the Orioles, taking the Masson Cup in a sweep. Uh, but we turn on the TV Tuesday night to find out that the Nats bats just go silent and the offense once again is showing uh, their inconsistency. Yeah, I mean, this is this is disappointing. I mean, obviously this happens. You score 22 runs in the sweep over the weekend. Your offense is probably had the best series that it has had so far this entire season. It's not too surprising that the bats are going to go a little bit silent uh, in your next game out there, especially after an off day. Maybe that momentum slows down a little bit. But the frustrating thing is that it's the Nationals, and this has been the story this entire season. They can't put together uh, consistent hitting over games, and it's just – it comes down to consistency for this offense. And what's so frustrating is that it came in a Max Scherzer start, a Max Scherzer where he only gave up two runs, both on solo homers, um, and you couldn't have asked for more out of him. And again, the story is that the bats kind of went a little bit silent. I mean, not having a, a single at bat with a runner in scoring position, uh, Josh Bell was the, the only guy in that 
when he hit that solo home run in the ninth inning, which obviously wasn't enough. But you don't put any runners in scoring position. Um, that makes it really difficult to win. So it's kind of disappointing after you saw a big spark in this offense over the weekend. Didn't expect them to put out the, as many runs as they did in that series. But something <laughs> would be nice. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and also, you're going up against a pitching staff that up until Tuesday night, going into Tuesday night, has given up the most runs in the National League. And, and they have the second-worst collective ERA in all of baseball at, at above five. So looking into, like I was talking about on, on my recap episode, recapping the Orioles series, that you know, you're know you riding high, you just scored 22 uh, runs over the course of three games against the O's, and now you're coming in to face one of the, one of the worst, if not the worst, pitching staff in all of baseball at home. You would think that's a perfect time for that bat to stay hot and keep swinging and keep going. But I wonder, too, I mean, this is something that I haven't do- dove to uh, deep into into looking up, and, and I, it might take me a while, but it might be worth it. I don't know how much, because we've talked about the Nats schedule so far, right, Amy? Like, it's been weird. Of course, COVID issues aside, like, there's been a good amount of off days, and I know why they're built in, right? You know, it's they're finally traveling earlier on in the year. You get a lot of weather uh, interference this time of year, especially in this area uh, with rain and stuff, which ironically we haven't had that much until this weekend. Um, But I feel like every time the Nats have a really strong series, whether that be against the Cardinals uh, back in uh, a couple weeks ago or this past weekend against the Orioles, they then run into an off day, whether that be a travel day or just a random off day. And then they come back and put up a dud their next game out. And I wonder if that off day is kind of throwing off their groove. It's probably too much. I'm probably nitpicking a little bit. Like it can't have that much of a factor, but I'm just curious because I was thinking on Monday, I was like, man, it would be nice if they could just play again right now instead of having to wait a full day before getting back out there because they were swinging the bat so well and then you have a day off and you just sit around and do nothing and then you're expected to stay hot. I mean, that's just so tough to do. I wonder how much of a factor that's been playing. Well, and I, well, I definitely think you have a point there because offense seems to be the the problem, right? And offense, we know it's streaky. You get into a groove. So I think definitely with that being the problem, being able to hit being the problem, um, having that off day after a really great series uh, and then coming out and being completely silent, there's probably definitely something to that. It's really hard to get in a groove when it seems like there's so many off days uh, here at the start of the season. I mean, Typically, when you're dealing with injuries and all of that, you're trying to get guys healthy again, you want those off days, and it kind of works to your advantage. Uh, but it seems like they just can't get a groove going here, um, and guys are becoming super streaky, and that's not going to lead to consist- consistency um, with this offense. And just like you mentioned, I mean, the Reds came into the series giving up the most runs in the National League, uh, and you kind of look back to the series against the Orioles, and you're like, oh, well, they scored all those runs against the Orioles, uh, the Orioles pitching. But the Orioles and the Angels were the only other teams in entire baseball that have given up more runs than the Reds. So you think that you could still come out um, and and get, get some hits against this pitching staff. I mean, obviously, credit to them. It was a good game, uh, but the Nationals didn't get anybody in scoring position. Uh, Josh Bell, that home run. And also, kind of like we talked about last week, those three hits before Josh Bell's home run in the ninth um, were all singles. Yeah. Um, we talked about it last week. Singles work if you're 
productive and you string them together and you put together some innings, but you can't do a whole lot of damage if you're just giving up singles, if you're just hitting singles here and there um, and you're not getting any extra base hits, which putting runners in scoring position seems to be the Nationals issue and timely hitting. So I think that's really crucial too, is that they're still not getting the ball off the ground and they're hitting a ton of singles um, or only three, but still you have to get extra base hits. It seems like that's been their issue so far as well. Yeah, and, and I think another thing to tie back kind of to what we talked about before too, at least for um, one of my points is that, you know, the, the national, you mentioned you're going from the Orioles to the Reds, you know, two relatively not great teams, not not good teams. And you the Nationals on paper should be beating these teams. And look, if they, you know, if the Nats bounce back, and win the next two by a combined score of like, you know, 12 to three, then, you know, we can totally forget about this game. It's also not made any better that it was a waste of a Max Scherzer start. But, um, you know, so if they bounce back and score a lot of runs over the next two games, then you're like, okay, they won two out of three. Like we talk about just win series to try to get back in this. But then you look ahead of the schedule. And like, like I said last week, like this is a great opportunity for the Nationals to get some kind of rhythm, get back in the group of things and fly up the standings because they're playing teams that are 500 or worse over the next couple of weeks. Their next team that is currently not above 500, not at 500, but above 500 is the Rays in uh, in two weeks in June. So you've got the Brewers who are 500 this weekend. Uh, of course, two more with the Reds who are below 500. You've got four games against the Braves start of Memorial Day, and then you go to Philly for uh, three games against the Phillies who are a game under, currently a game under 500. So, you know, this is an opportunity for them. They're playing teams that aren't playing very very well right now, and they have a chance, if they would play better, uh, the Nationals, to uh, to get back in this thing because they're playing teams that are a little subpar of uh, right now. So it's a great opportunity. It's a, it's a shame that, you know, it was just – you get one run and four hits off off the worst pitching staff in baseball. That's the frustration part. And you have Max Scherzer dealing, uh, striking out nine over seven innings. I mean, we've seen this act before, and this was years ago, and we thought it was kind of resolved. We're like, oh, we've got Juan Soto now. Trey Turner has kind of tapped into his power. He's no no longer has sneaky pop and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's very frustrating. We thought Kyle Schwarber had turned a, a corner, and, and Josh Bell, obviously, that was his first home run hitting right-handed, which is, which is something, but it's not enough to win the game. Um, yeah, so all this kind of coming together, and it's all, you know, that one game yesterday on Tuesday against the Reds was all one microcosm of what we've been talking about over the past couple of weeks, what's, what's been wrong with this team. Um, mm-hmm. So it, it was that just adds to the frustration. But like I said, they could bounce back, and then you have three home games against the Brewers before you go back on the road, and you know they could win two or three there, and then all of a sudden you, you know you've won what is that uh, nine of your uh, nine of twelve on this homestand. So that, that's pretty impressive. Right, and just like you always say, you don't have to go out and sweep every team. Obviously, that sweep against the Orioles was huge, but if you turn around tonight and you can turn that, you know you know, that that first game uh, turn around and win this series, that that's a big difference. Uh, you don't have to sweep every single team. So um, that's an important part of it. And then you have Joe Ross on the mound tonight, who's had two pretty, probably the two worst starts of the season so far. So he's looking for a bounce back start. I think just the most frustrating thing is that you get that loss uh, to start the series and you get it when Max Scherzer's on the mound. I think that's the most frustrating thing because we also talk about that so often is that winning those games when you have Max Scherzer on the mound is a is is really important because he's pretty much a sure thing and he's proven that so far uh, this year. So 
that's what's frustrating. But who knows? He can bounce back. Joe Ross looking for a bounce back start, and hopefully they can turn this series around. But getting extra base hits and getting runners in scoring position is so key to at least try to put together one or two innings, which could be the difference uh, when your pitchers are, are doing as well as Max did last night. Yep, to the, the, the put a cap on the Max conversation, uh, Mark Zuckerman or, or from MassInSports.com had this good stat last night. After the game, Max has allowed two or fewer runs in eight starts this season, and the Nats are only five and three in those games. So, I mean, it's it's not a bad record, but you know that you would like that to be seven and one or you know eight and zero, oh, something like that, as opposed to three losses. Those are three huge losses. They would be at five hundred right now if they had won those three games uh, and games that with Max Scherzer allowing two or fewer runs, you should win. You know that's that is. A, a quality of but on quality right there from Max Scherzer, and and that's a game that any team should win if you're getting solid starting pitching um, from a, a future Hall of Famer like that. So yeah, that adds to the frustration for sure. Um, uh, another thing we wanted to get to before yesterday's game, even because on Sunday uh, there was a couple roster moves. Will Harris obviously ended up on the IL after he had another tough issue. He didn't record an out in his outing on Saturday. Still dealing with that funky hand issue in his right hand. And then Victor Robles was finally put on the IL, backdated a couple of days after he rolled his ankle uh, in Chicago and sprained it. And it was too late in the afternoon with a 1 o'clock game against the Orioles to make another roster move. But before Tuesday's game, the Nationals finally made that roster move and decided to bring up Luis Garcia. Now, this conversation can go a couple different ways, but I think the main takeaway, one, is they didn't bring up Carter Keboom. And two, they don't have any other outfielders really to bring up right now to replace Victor Robles on, on on the roster. And that speaks to a larger issue that the Nationals have in terms of as an organization. Right. Uh, you know, at first glance, this kind of surprises you. And then you kind of look further into it. And it makes a lot more sense because really, I'm assuming the only option, the only outfielder you bring up um, it, to take his place is Gerardo Parra. Um, but you don't have any other outfielders on the 40 man. So you have to, you have to take somebody off there uh, if you're going to bump up an outfielder. Um, and Luis Garcia is, is hitting, he's hitting at the triple a level. And you look at Carter Keboom, he's hitting 190 with just one extra base hit. Uh, so it's really hard to promote somebody like that. Uh, when you're looking for a little bit of infield depth, when you look at Luis Garcia, how he's hitting, um, you know, he can play second base, middle infield and Josh Harrison's an, uh, an option to move out to the outfield. So it seems like, you know, that Victor Robles going on the IL being retroactive to last Wednesday, I believe. Uh, they're not looking, they're just like a temporary fix. You know, you have Andrew Stevenson out there. If need be, you can move Josh Harrison out there. But it was a really good chance to, to give Luis Garcia a chance, move him up, get him some looks uh, when the opportunity provides itself. But it, it is kind of crazy because you think Carter Keboom would be the next one up, but it's really hard to promote him when he's not hitting. Yeah, I mean, and I think that kind of speaks to, like, Carter Keboom is just so far. And, and it's crazy that we were thinking, you know, two months ago that this guy would be the opening day third baseman. Um, and where would this team be if he was? Um, especially when you look out, pretty solid Starling Castro has been. He had that 11-game hitting streak. He's hit a couple of RBIs. Uh, he's got some good spots with runners in scoring positions. So, yeah, Carter Keboom is just completely fallen off the radar for this team not even a consideration Dave Martinez said that they considered him but I, I I can't I had to imagine that was just him kind of being nice because yeah like you said 
Luis Garcia's numbers are that much better. He's got four home runs and seven RBIs in 17 games with AAA Rochester. Uh, you mentioned not being able to bring up Para, but so now on the active roster, your only true outfielders are from left to right, your starters, Schwarber, Stevenson, and Soto, and then Yadiel Hernandez off the bench. Yes, Josh Harrison can play the outfield. He started Saturday in center field uh, when Stevenson needs a breather, and then you have Luis Garcia can then fill in at second base. Uh, and Jordy Mercer has limited experience in the outfield. But, but Amy, I, I think this just also speaks a little bit more to the Nationals don't have depth within their organization. They don't have a ready prospect who they can call up in a situation like this because for a long time that was Victor Robles that was Juan Soto an outfielder that they could call up for when Bryce Harper got injured or you know all those years ago Jason uh Worth or or some Brian Goodwin whoever got hurt they had outfielders ready the farm was rich in guys that they could bring up uh who were a verge or you know kind of middle of the pack uh minor leaguers and major leaguers you know Michael A. Taylor kind of comes to mind too they don't have that anymore and i think that's just a bigger issue uh you know in terms of a conversation we should have about where is the state of this organization right now and, and are they looking at being what the cubs are being right now a year from now um you know we talked about the caps losing their playoff series you know the caps might be looking at a rebuild coming up soon after winning their championship in 2018 is the Nationals kind of facing that similar thing? That's a conversation we could have down the line. But right now, it just says a lot that they had to bring up an infielder to kind of replace an outfielder because they don't have anyone else that's ready or even on the 40-man to, to fill Victor Robles' spot. Right. I mean, the closest or the highest-rated prospect that they have, outfield prospect they have right now is Jeremy De La Rosa, and he's only 19 um, and playing single-A ball. But I don't think the outfield – uh, their depth in the outfield right now concerns me as much as the infield does just because you have young guys in Victor Robles and Juan Soto that just recently turned over, just came up. Um, it doesn't concern me that they haven't been able to fill up their minor leagues with that outfield depth so far, but the infield is what's really concerning because just based on this roster construction, I mean, they have so much money tied up in this pitching um, and they've kind of plugged all these holes in uh, with veteran guys, Josh Bell, you have Starling Castro, you have Josh Harrison starting at second base every day um, in a 162 game season that the depth there is going to get exposed. Guys are going to need days off. And then when you look at the infield depth they have, Carter Keboom obviously throwing a wrench in things. Um, now having those positional players in the, as their top-rated prospects is con is concerning. Um, the outfield, at least you have those young guys in Victor Robles and Juan Soto, but they don't really have that to show um, in the infield. And with the age of these veteran guys playing every day, um, putting all that money into pitching and not into signing younger guys, that's kind of concerning. So I think you can deal with the outfield for a little bit, as long as Juan Soto and Victor Robles are young and up and coming. Um, but a couple of years down the line, it might be an all around positional uh, issue, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. And, and, you know, they've kind of been looking at this for a while now because we talked about, I mean, you're going to go all in, you're going to lose prospects, right? They're, they have been trading some of these prospects for major leaguers uh, to come in and contribute to playoff runs and, and of course, a championship. So that's that's all well and good, but now you're looking at it. Now it's 2021, and we're looking to win this season, and uh, we don't have the depth that we would like that kind of helped us build uh, up toward that championship. And so now we're kind of thinking this: the team that we have right now on this 40 man 
active roster, that's the team that we're living and dying with right now because you, they don't have anyone else waiting in the wings to step up and, and become like a breakthrough star. Like you're seeing, like, you know, look at the Dodgers. They've, I feel like the Dodgers always have some rookie coming up that is able to take meaningful at-bats yeah, or maybe even uh, pitch meaningful innings late in the season uh, for for the team. So uh, the Rays have a stacked farm system as well. They're, they've been consistently competitive uh, over the past couple of years, too. The Nationals, only one of their top 16 prospects are at double A or higher. Um, the rest are at single A or lower, including rookie ball. So that's not a great sign. that Those guys are at least a year or two away from even being close to breaking through the major leagues. Uh, and the first triple A prospects in their top 30 is Seth Romero at 18. Uh, you look at their top 30 overall, only nine are at double A or triple A. Uh, and then of, of those nine, only two are not a catcher or a pitcher. That's Drew Mendoza at first base and Jackson Clough at shortstop. So, uh, and both those guys are at double A. So, I mean, they could make a leap eventually, but there's your infield depth that you're looking at, and, and that's only two guys. And one of them is a first baseman who, who has limited experience at third base. So, that it's just not a lot of depth. Um, and, and, you know, you, you have top seven position players ranked, four of them are rookie ball. So, that means they're even further away from breaking through. And you have a couple of outfielders in that in that. Uh, group you mentioned De La Rosa, but you know that means that they're they're probably at least three years away from from making any kind of impact at the major league level. So it's just a lot of um, not great depth, not a lot of names, not a lot of familiar names for fans who know the who want to see. You know, you look at oh, we need help in the outfield. We need help. Bring up this guy. Bring up that guy. It's not happening because this team doesn't have the depth anymore that there's we've we've grown accustomed to seeing um, from a Mike Rizzo built organization. Right. And I mean, of course, naturally, that's going to happen when you bring these guys up and you end up winning a World Series. And I don't mean to say that this organization is young as an excuse, but it is young. And the fact that we haven't seen them have to rebuild yet, we haven't seen them win a World Series. So it will be interesting to see kind of the downfall now or maybe lack thereof. Will they have to rebuild? What are, what's their plan here? Uh, because it is so unique and it, the Nationals are unique. They definitely haven't proven themselves to be like the Rays yet um, and being able to constantly rebuild that farm system, turn guys over. It's really remarkable. Uh, they haven't had to do that yet, but it, they're so unique in having all this money tied up in starting pitching, being young, just winning their first World Series. It will be interesting to see how that, that falls. I'm not so concerned right now, um, but it is concerning when what they did this offseason was put more money into pitching or in the last two offseasons put more money into pitching and not fill these position players with guys that will uh, last long term. So part of that will be, you know, what they're going to do with Juan Soto, what they're going to do with Trey Turner. Um, it's hard to tell now, um, but that that will all go into it and whether this team is going to have to rebuild in the future or if they're going to be able to keep this sustainability that they have been. But right now, the positional player depth isn't there in their organization. And I think it is a cause, a little bit of a cause for concern down the road. Yeah, and, and we know that a, a Mike Rizzo built team is going to have pitching. That's how he, he builds it. They have the, uh, I believe, 11th pick in the upcoming draft uh, in July. And, and that's more likely than not going to be a starting pitcher, and which is great. I mean, we've seen it work here. It's just, like you know, maybe – this is part of Mike Rizzo's five-year plan or three-year plan. What is he always has a one-year plan, a three-year plan, and a five-year plan uh, looking ahead. Maybe this is part of the three-year plan where in three years, all of these young outfielders that are rookie ball are going to be contributing at double A AA and triple A and be able to make a jump, you know, 
God forbid if, if Juan Soto needs a breather or someone else goes down in the outfield, Victor Robles has another ankle issue or whatever it may be. So maybe it's part of the plan. It's just right now, you know, looking at this current season, uh, it's a hindrance. And the plan, it looks like it's piece it together with infielders, guys who have limited experience, and try to hope that the other veterans who are also currently struggling get it together in time uh, for them to make a run at the postseason. Um, just quickly, because I think looking over – Overall, the Nationals farm system, uh, right? Uh, You know, we talk about some of these talented guys, but how young they are, not a lot of professional baseball experience. And you're looking at the Nationals affiliates up and down, not off to great starts. And that's, you know, it's minor league baseball. A lot of guys, you know, don't have a lot of experience. You're going up against other farm systems in the area that are very good, that have been been have been rebuilding for a while. So they may be a step or two ahead of you. But all of the Nationals uh, farm system affiliates have records under 500. AAA Rochester's at four and 15. AA Harrisburg's at seven and 12. Uh, high single A Wilmington's at nine and 10, the best record on the list. And then low single A Fredericksburg, the poor Fred Nats are two and 17. So collectively, they've only got a 28% winning percentage uh, for the Nationals farm system. So it's not like you can point to, well, the team's struggling uh, and, and their top prospects aren't really panning out like a Carter Keyboom, but at least there are others' talent coming up because the other teams are doing well. They're, they're struggling right now. And, and like you look at far as far down as low single-A Fredericksburg, and we talked about there's not many names that are recognizable on that roster. A lot of them are 10th round or later picks that have only been playing rookie ball. Uh, it's a little concerning when you see that the team doesn't even have very strong winning uh, affiliates down the minor leagues. Yeah, I think that's a good point, and I think it's telling. Um, not only does it depend on the other teams that you're playing, the organizations that you're playing, but it shows that they don't have a well-rounded organization. I mean, it, minor league ball is tough because you can have some really great talent and really great prospects, and then the rest of your team is filled with not so great guys. You know, filling those positions, so you see that less and less now. Um, but that's certainly still a fact for some of these teams. So I don't think it necessarily means that they don't have any talent. But just like you said, I mean, if you have a well-rounded, you have a lot of different talent at different positions, um, then you're going to win games. And that's what's telling. So the Nationals obviously don't have talent at a lot of different positions or they wouldn't be going to and whatever, you know. Yeah, that's true. Well, a place that they do have some talent. Um, maybe a little too much right now, and they're not lacking depth, at least definitely at the major league level right now, is actually the bullpen, Amy. And that is something that has not been the case, of course, for a handful of years, where the bullpen is actually uh, a strong point in this pitching staff and, and the whole entire roster. Uh, they've been pitching pretty well as of late, keeping them in games. Uh, you know, saw yesterday those two runs to the Reds were allowed by Max Scherzer, so the guys coming out of the pen were able to keep that a 2 nothing game. Sam Clay had a, bit, a good outing, uh, an important outing that kept the game close and gave the Nationals a chance to come back. Um, so for once, we're not talking about the lack of depth in the bullpen. We're actually talking about it as a strength. And, and the Nats bullpen has been strong for them so far. Yeah, that's that's really exciting because just last week we were kind of talking about how we were a little bit worried. We were a little bit worried about, about Brad Hand. Um, it's interesting with the Nationals bullpen because just like you mentioned, there's so many up and down years. Um, they always have injuries in that bullpen, but it always seems like 
you're kind of looking at their fate falling in one guy's hand. And that's kind of how it was when Sean Doolittle was on the team. And, you know, you look at what they spent on Brad Hand, that was ex- the probably the most exciting part of the offseason. And then the start that he got off to was kind of disappointing. But it seems now, obviously, he's turned the things around. And the more that he's pitching, the better he's doing. And I know you talked about that. He wasn't getting a lot of outings, and maybe that's what he needed uh, to be to be out there more. Um, and he's he's pitched in half of the last 13 games. Um, he pitched three days in a row, and he found success when he was pitching more. Um, so maybe that's half the battle, getting back out there, um, proving himself, turning the season around. And it seems now that he's doing well, we have a much better look on that look of this bullpen, despite some of the injuries, despite Will Harris still having those issues with his hand. Wander Suero just coming, coming back. He had a great eighth inning. Uh, last night, two strikeouts, but he started the season hurt, so we're just seeing him come back. So there's a lot of in and outs of this bullpen up and down, but now that Brad Hand is kind of getting a grip on things, um, it kind of gives us a lot more optimistic outlook, it feels like. Yeah, he's pointing a, uh, posting a 3.63 ERA over his 17 outings. He's only given up seven earned runs, 10 total in his start, so Brad Hand is getting a little better. I still feel like he's always good for like a base runner every time out, which... You know, it's not the worst thing in the world. Your whip's going to go up, but, you know, as long as he's not scoring, I guess that's you can live with that. But that's the only maybe concern I have over the past week is that, yes, he's getting out of it, but it seems like he does give up uh, at least a base runner or two, maybe gets in, in some kind of a jam. Um, but maybe that'll come more, you know, as he, again, like we said, more consistently throwing, uh, is used to pitching on back-to-back days and stuff like that. Uh, Daniel Hudson has been absolutely fantastic this season. He's got an ERA just above one over his 17 outings, so he's been great in that setup role. Uh, finally taken out of that uh, closer's role that he does not want to be in anymore, uh, taking some pressure off there. So he's been fantastic. And the rest of the pen has, has been really good. And, you know, if you look at it, there's only a couple of handful of, like, really bad outliers in this bullpen right now. If you take out Luis Avilon, who was, of course, going undergoing Tommy John surgery, he had a really rough outing. His ERA was over 12 in a handful of appearances. Uh, Hernan Perez take away his two pitching <laughs> pitching performances. And Ryan Harper has made, I think, three or two appearances out of the bullpen, but he's back at AAA right now. If you take away those appearances and then also take away Tanner Rainey and Will Harris's starts or outings, two guys that are both on the injured list right now and have been dealing with stuff throughout the course of the season and had slow starts of the season the the bullpen era is uh 283 which will be good for third best in the majors that is really good considering how awesome uh daniel hudson has been kyle finnegan has been reliable you got wander swero who was on the il for a long time but he's bounced back and remaining strong you had sam clay who had no major league experience coming into this season and has uh, proven to be a pretty good lefty ground ball out uh and then yeah, Brad Hand, who you know had his ups and downs in, in New York, but has kind of figured it out and settled back into the closer's role. I think with seven or uh, seven saves and nine chances. So the bullpen ERA would be very good if you take away some of their bad performances, guys who are either no longer in the bullpen or on the injured list. So collectively, they've been very fantastic uh, and something that a bright spot for the Nationals. Where like if you just get the starting pitcher a lead, like last night. You should be good for a W, and, and and it's something that the Nationals are looking forward to because this bullpen has been probably by far its best that it's been in a couple of years. Right, and I think that's a good point. You can't look at their the entire bullpen ERA right now. That does not tell the complete story, yeah. and that's probably true for, for a lot of teams because, of course, there's going to be outliers that aren't even with the team um, anymore at this point. And I think what's so 
frustrating about that is just like you mentioned, you get them a lead, you have a really good shot um, and you you're getting what you need out of these starting pitchers. Just last night, Max Scherzer going seven innings. You're only asking for two innings out of your bullpen. It came from Wander Swirl and Sam Clay last night. Um, you couldn't ask for more. And then the bullpen is doing their job. They're, they're holding scoreless innings. They're keeping you right in it. Uh, Brad Hand coming around from those two blown saves out of six chances to just like you mentioned, seven of nine. So you couldn't ask for more out of this bullpen, out of this starting pitching. As long as you get them a little bit of a lead or give them a little bit run, of run support, you have a really good shot to win those, win those games. So that's what's crazy. I wish they could sync this up, their pitching, their bullpen performance, and give them some offense all at the same time because the nationals could win games <laughs> yeah yeah and uh it's it's usually the, been the opposite right we've always used to seeing the bullpen be the costly factor and, and cost the nationals a game and blow a lead or save but you know they've been really solid i think looking up and down they've converted seven of ten save opportunities two blown saves by brad hand and one by tanner rainey other than that pretty clean up and down the sheet so um if that continues you know, the offense gets going. I think we're pretty set, especially with Steven Strasburg back in the rotation. The rotation should be pretty solid and dependable throughout the course of the season. So it's mainly just offense. If the offense gets going, you know, it doesn't have to be 12 runs a game. It can be it could be a two-to-one score. You just score more than the other guy. And, and then the, the pitchers can take care of the rest because this bullpen has been fantastic, and we know what the rotation can do. With Sean Doolittle returning, though, Amy, and, of course, it was so good to see him back at Nationals Park yesterday. It's been kind of a couple of days because we talked to him on Sunday afternoon before they got here. Uh, he obviously did a tour of Nationals Park with Dan Colco. There was the whole on-field ceremony. It's been great to see Sean kind of get, like, three days of celebration in D.C. But with Sean back, does it beg the question, would, like, would this bullpen be even better if he stayed with the Nationals, if the Nationals had re-signed him? And it, that's tough to tell, tough to say. I think if you would have asked me that question two weeks ago when Brad Hand was struggling as much as he was, uh, I would have been more like, eh, maybe. I think at this point, especially since we're talking about how the bullpen has been kind of a bright spot, not so much. I mean, he's not necessarily, Sean Doolittle is not necessarily lighting it up this year. If you look at him in his outings, um, he's done well. His velocity's back up. His strikeout rate's the highest it's been in his entire career, um, which is really, really great for him. Um, but I, And he's kind of taken over more of a middle-inning relief role uh, there in Cincinnati. Uh, but I think it would have been a different conversation two weeks ago. Now that the bullpen's a bright spot, um, I don't think necessarily so much. Uh, but it, it certainly wouldn't hurt. I mean, he's not doing terrible, not doing outstanding, but he's done a fine job so far this year. Yeah, his 4.15 ERA so far, uh, that would be tied for Kyle McGowan for eighth best in the Nats bullpen of the regulars. So, like, up take, like taking out those right. guys I mentioned earlier. Um, and the only guys with worse ERAs would be Tanner Rainey at 7.30 and Will Harris at an even nine. Again, both of those guys are on the injured list. So, you know, his ERA, I mean, it also kind of depends, like, who you're facing, uh, the role, the situation. I, I understand that. But, yeah, a 4.15 ERA would actually be eighth best on this on this current bullpen uh, right now. And, and what isn't well, that isn't yep. that great, um, considering that like, you have guys that are mostly around two. Um, and Kyle Finnegan is right above him at four four twelve. But got, there's a lot of threes and a lot of mostly twos and, and even a couple of ones are in there. So you know it's it's hard to say. I think it's one of those things where 
maybe the only addition or, or positive thing that do would bring back to this bullpen if he were here would be another left-hander. I mean, but Brad Hand kind of solved that when they signed him. And, and Sam Clay has been, like I said, more than serviceable. 251 ERA. We saw him get out of a jam uh, last night with his patented double play ground ball. Uh, you know, we know about the ground balls that he's been able to issue throughout the course of his minor league career. He's going down the same kind of path that we saw uh, Kyle Finnegan do uh, last year. So uh, it's hard to say. Maybe just adding the other lefty in there would help. Maybe allow Davey to play matchups more. But that, again, isn't really necessary anymore with the three batter minimum rule. So... I don't know. It, it is kind of tough. I'm glad to see that he's bouncing back, that he's healthy. You mentioned the velocity is up, that, up, up. His uh, strikeout ratio is higher, uh, back to normal. Uh, he's not giving save chances too often. He's he's blown two and three, but he does have the one save. Uh, so, you know, it's like maybe there there is a position in here. And you look at the what Tanner Rainey. I just think the Nationals let Sean go because they saw Tanner Rainey, what he did last year. They saw the emergence of Kyle Finnegan. Um, they said, hey, we, we don't really need to bring back Sean because these young guys are stepping up and we don't really need to play matchups anymore. So, I mean, I think it's one of those things. It would be nice, but they definitely don't need him. And it's just unfortunate that he's now uh, part of one of the worst pitching staffs in the league. And I don't think that's any fault of his. I think that's just collectively they're not great. Um, and, you know, we'll see how he looks and if he makes an appearance either tonight or Thursday night uh, at, back at Nats Park, and maybe we'll get a real eye view of how he looks so far. Yeah, it will be interesting to see if he pitches in this series. But, yeah, I think you're right about that, especially stacking him up against the rest of the bullpen. It wouldn't really make sense except that it gives you another lefty in the bullpen. But just like you mentioned, you can't play matchups as much as you used to be able to. Um, and now they've kind of moved that sixth, seventh inning role. Um, there probably isn't a spot for him really realistically in this rotation. And I think he knew that as soon as Brad Hand came into the picture, um, there really wasn't a spot for him anymore. And obviously he's not at the position in his career um, where they can rely on him like they used to. Um, it, it's kind of crazy. I mean, you look back at that 2019 when this complete season turned, um, he was a huge part of that. And he pitched so often. Davey Martinez relied on him so often and then making nine appearances um, in that playoff run, of course, finishing two games in that World Series, like he was relied upon a lot. Obviously, he's not at that point in his career, especially after 2020 anymore. So there's really not a place for him. But of course, always wishing him the best. Um, and it's exciting to see that he's bouncing back and and fixing some some things this year in Cincinnati. Yeah, just looking through some of his career highlights, of course, came over in July 17 from the Athletics. He recorded a save in his Nationals debut against the Angels. That was the night that uh, Bryce Harper and Mike Trout actually were exchanging home runs, if you remember. Um, and then he finished that season with 21 saves with the Nationals, which is pretty impressive. He only did it in, uh, what, two months um, and or, or a little bit less. And then he had three scoreless postseason appearances that year against the Cubs, uh, was named an All-Star of the year that Nationals Park hosted the All-Star game back in 2018, of course, won the championship in 2019, made his last appearance as in a Nats uniform last September 
uh, before returning yesterday with the Reds. Uh, and, you know, we're going to hear from Sean just a little bit. We'll, Amy and I will kind of step away and, and get out of your guys' way from about from hearing from Sean. But, you know, he talked about how upset he was that he had to leave under those circumstances because he didn't really get to say goodbye. Of course, there were no fans in the stands when he left. He left due to injury, and then once he kind of diagnosed his injury, he wasn't allowed back in the stadium because of COVID issues and protocols. So um, it was a very – he didn't deserve that, right? And, and I think Nationals fans were – it was great to see that, one – increased capacity over this weekend so they were able to pack well, i think it was like eight thousand fans in there last night were able to welcome him back uh you know he's able to go meet and greet and hug some of his former teammates and davy martinez and stuff like that so after how it ended last year i think it was good that sean doodle got his moment uh, at nationals park because he was a huge part like you said of that postseason run the nationals wouldn't be there without the start that he had to the season carrying that bullpen and then of course he came back healthy at the end of the season and pitched some important innings uh in that postseason and of course recording the last out uh in a national series victory ever in a game five against the dodgers so it was a very important a very emotional night for for sean as we saw in some of those clips right there um so I just thought we'd bring it up, have that little conversation because it would be interesting to see, you know, we did say that if any, if Sean's going to return anywhere, the Nats have to be the favorite because they know what he can do when he's healthy. So if he can prove that he's health, healthy, that they might bring him back, but obviously wasn't the case. Uh, and he, he signed with the Reds. Right now I'm, I'm so happy that he found himself not only on a roster, but also that he gets the welcome back that he deserves at Nats Park uh, because the way he had to go out, not even being able to come back, be around his team, of course, there not being any fans in the ballpark was was really a sad way to go out, especially when he was such a big part, of course, of that World Series win um, and such a big part of this franchise. I mean, Sean Doolittle is a stand-up guy. We've said it a ton of times on this podcast, um, and he's just a great guy and a guy you want to see succeed uh, no matter where it is. Um, so to see him have to go out that way was really sad. And then the, his performances in 2020 was just terrible, of course. Um, so to see him get this welcome back, to see him find himself on a roster and do have decent um, is exciting. And I'm sure Nationals fans are, you know, welcoming, of course, just like we saw last night. Is he one of the best relievers the Nats have ever had? I think you absolutely have to say, yeah. Yeah. I mean, especially just because he played when he played. Um there's not a long list of great relievers in the Nationals organization, uh, for sure. There's probably a hand, two, three that have been better, but he played at a time when his spot was crucial. It's kind of like when we debate the MVP situation. Like, right. you could be great, but if your team wasn't winning and you didn't get them to, to the highest level, um, like Sean Doolittle did, then how you know effective were you really? Yeah. Sean Doolittle was obviously extremely effective and the most important part of that bullpen for a, a heavy part of the season. Yeah, I, I agree. I think he's got to be definitely mentioned. It might be hard to determine who actually was or is the best that we've ever seen. Um, you know, I, depending how Daniel Hudson's career finishes up, he could be up on that list too uh, as an important piece that, that the Nationals added. But, yeah, Sean, of course, immortalized in that uh, mural in uh, Nationals Park now uh, behind the Commissioner's Trophy that stands there. Uh, huge part. I mean, I think you just look at his body of work in, it, what, three seasons with the team. Take 2020 because 2020 was a joke of a season to begin with. But, uh, you know, like I said, 21 saves in a couple of months when he joins the team. He was an all-star the next year. Uh, and then he basically carried the bullpen for the first half of the season in 2019. 
and then got some reinforcements, was able to rest and bounce back and then carry it again uh, through the uh, the postseason. So I, I think he played, not only did he perform to the level that you could talk about being one of the best uh, in, in team history, but he played the most important parts uh, mm-hmm. uh, for this organization's history too, obviously uh, resulting in a world championship. So right. I, that's a great point too. Yeah, I think that I think that's what it comes down to. I mean, you kind of Nationals fans think back to maybe Tyler Clippard and guys like that. Um, but Sean Doolittle, I think, is always going to stick out more in your mind. I mean, you're always going to remember Sean Doolittle, Doolittle because when he played and the piece that he played in the biggest year in the franchise's history. Yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I definitely agree. Well, we're going to step away because we do want uh, you guys who have missed it maybe to hear from Sean. We know fans love hearing from Sean uh, over the course of the season. And, and now that he's back, he had a lot of great things, a lot of great memories to discuss with the local media about his return to Nationals Park. So we're going to talk about that. We'll let him uh, chat in just a bit. But, Amy, I wanted to thank you so much for joining me. We started a little bit later than we needed to, but uh, I'm glad that we got on and we're able to do this live and we were matching again. So hopefully we'll go four for four next week uh, when we're matching again next week. (laughs) You never know, Bobby. You never know. All right, I'll see you next week. All right, that's Amy Jennings at Amy Jennings News uh, on Twitter. Be sure to give her a follow uh, for, um, you know, just all the latest Nats content and whatever you want to talk about because she loves talking about the Nationals. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm at Bobby underscore Blanco, Bobby underscore Blanco on Twitter. Give me a follow as well. And be sure to follow the Mass and All Access podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Check out our live episodes every week on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. You can also catch my series recaps on the audio formats wherever you find the Mass and All Access podcast. Sean Doolittle met, meeting with the media on Sunday afternoon, talking about his return to Nationals Park and thinking of some fond memories of his time with the team. Of course, the championship run, but even earlier before that, uh, a good Max Scherzer story uh, in this press conference from earlier this week. So well, here he goes, Sean Doolittle. Enjoy uh, the games, everyone. We'll talk to you next time. And uh, here's Sean. Sean, did you, uh, like, do you circle this date? How are you feeling about Coming back, like, what's it? What do you, what's it mean to you? I know you haven't done it yet, but I guess what are you expecting? Um, I, I honestly don't know what to expect. I, I, very early on in spring training, I did look at the schedule to see when we were coming back to DC, and and um, you know, I, I have so many incredible memories um, from my time there. It's going to be special for sure. Um, you know, this is my first time playing against a, a team that, that I used to be on, uh, cause when I was with the Nats, we never played the A's. So, um, this is, this is the, the first time going through something like this. And then when, when you're a part of a, of a team that won a world series, I think it, you know, it, it becomes, uh, it becomes a lot different. So, um, but I'm, I'm looking forward to, to being back in DC, to being back in Nats park and, seeing some of the guys on the team and, and the support staff, um, with the Nats. And, um, you know, I, I had some really special relationships there. I, I'm so grateful for my time there, um, that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to coming back. I think there's going to be a, a wave of emotions, but, um, I don't really know what to expect, to be honest. Do you expect, do you have an idea of what the, what that wave will include? Like what's the mix of emotions? I think it'll, the, the biggest one will be gratitude. I think, um, I, I mean, I loved my time with the Nats. Um, I loved, uh, everything about it. I loved the, the way that, 
the fans embraced me. I, I love the way that, um, you know, the guys, especially in the training room, took care of me. Um, I love the, the guys on the team and the support that we had for each other. Um, so I, I really think it'll be it'll be mostly just remembering like it really how special that was um, to, to be able to win a World Series with that group. Um, the oldest team in baseball that year um, and, and the run that we went on um, seeing fans back at Nats park uh, I think is going to be really special as well. Um, so like I've only just within the last couple of days really start really like allowed myself to kind of think about it a little bit. Um, the guys here want to know, my bullpen mates here want to know if I'm going to get a thank you video. And they also want to know, uh, because this is how different it is here. I'm like one of the oldest guys on the team here. They want to know if they think, um, that the Nats, um, scoreboard people that put the video together will be able to colorize the video because I'm so old. Um, they want it. They, so, so they're all like, let us know what time the thank you video is. Because uh, we want to be out there for it, um, so um, that's a job. That's not my way of asking for a thank you video. Uh, that's them. That's them um, uh, disrespecting their elders. Thank you, Sean. I was going to ask: uh, Do you expect the video, or do you think maybe they'll just play the twenty-minute Star Wars soliloquy? <laughs> that, that would be awesome <laughs> make everybody sit through that right before the game like right before the anthem uh i think that'd be really cool um i i don't i don't know what i don't know what to expect but but like i said like i am looking forward to just seeing fans back in nats park and being i'm sure there'll be some familiar faces and some people that i recognize um whether it's you know even from the third base side going down to the bullpen um and just saying hello to the fans, saying thank you to the fans, um, you know, for, for all of their support um, for me during the, the three and a half years that I was there. So, um, yeah, uh, I don't know. So last week we had John Lester and Kyle Schwarber going back to Chicago, and they talked about how because last year was no fans, they never got that, like, closure moment to walk right. off the field. Yeah. Did, did, did it seem strange to you that you left this team without really getting that final last moment with everyone? Yeah, that sucked. Um, that sucked big time uh, because my last game, I tore my oblique. I walked off the field and I got to come in the next day to like meet the doctor, meet, the, meet with the team doctors, you know, so that they could read the, the MRI. And, um, and then I was like, all right, what time should I come in tomorrow? thinking I was like going to start rehab or do something with the training staff. And they were like, Oh, you can't come in anymore. And I, and like, that was it. Like that was it for me. And um, I got to come back to the stadium the day after the season ended to pick up my stuff. And like, that was it. Like I, I, I didn't get to, you know, I didn't get to say like goodbye or thank you or, or have that. Not that I wanted a send off, but like you can't even make the rounds in the clubhouse to like say goodbye to all the boys and 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 to say thank you uh, to the staff and and everything like that. So um, yeah, that that stung and the, and that really sucks for for a little bit uh, for sure. But um, so that's like another reason. Like I there's there's some people that I haven't seen in that clubhouse since 
I got hurt since I walked off the field that, that night in September. So, um, yeah, I think, uh, and then, like I said, having the fans back will be really, really special as well. Hey, Sean, when you left Washington, you posted a lot of thank yous to the fans. Why was that so important for you to do? Uh, I think because, like, I'll, I'll never forget the way they really just embraced me right right away, like right after the trade in 2017. Um, and they started doing the uh, the do in, in, in the stands. Um, I remember – uh, it seems silly now, but I was so nervous after I got traded, like the first week or two, it felt like I made my major league debut all over again. I was so nervous. Um, I forgot how to pitch. I, I barely got to save, uh, my first outing. I had a messy outing, uh, against the Brewers shortly thereafter. Um, but you know, every time I came into the game, um, they were on their feet. They, um, you know, they were, they had the do, the do chant going. Um, and then, you know, from there on out, like, um, I feel like I developed a pretty special relationship with the fans, uh, in, in the time that I was there. So, um, you know, I'm super grateful for their support. Um, and I think that's one of the things I'm most looking forward to is, uh, you know, having fans back at Nats Park and just being able to maybe see some of them again, um, some familiar faces and, and uh, you know, say thank you in, in person because I really do appreciate the way that they embraced me, the way they – and my wife, um, for she used to drag me on Twitter and fans loved it. Uh, but they supported her as well. So um, I'm very lucky the way that they embraced me there and, and I'm very grateful for it. Who do you still keep in touch with on the team? I talked to Heidi quite a bit, uh, exchanging text messages about that reliever life, you know, um, and uh, some other guys uh, kind of every once in a while. Uh, I still talk with uh, – Mark Campbell, who's the, the Nats uh, mental skills coach. Uh, I still talk with him pretty regularly. Uh, but, you know, baseball is a, a small world. So, like, um, you know, there's guys that, you know, I still reach out to every once in a while. And even though we've kind of gone our separate ways, we still, we still keep in touch. You go through something like a World Series run with a team and you, you're – you're kind of bonded for life. So um, that's, you know, that's the other part of it is like the, the guys that are still there from that run, uh, you know, like, like Huddy, you know, and, and sharing a bullpen with Huddy during, during that world series run, uh, you know, kind of leaning on each other. Cause we were both, I mean, we were both kind of like a bundle of nerves throughout that whole, throughout that whole run. Um, both going through it really for the first time, uh, you know, having somebody else that, that you can lean on and talk to and uh, kind of help, help you manage those, those, uh, those appearances in all that adrenaline, all that energy. And, uh, you know, that's something that, uh, that, that you never forget. And, and it, it's really special. So uh, I definitely keep in touch with him. 
John, you're coming back on the two-year anniversary of 1931. I think that you guys actually get here on May 24th. Um, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Uh, since you've had time now away from it, like, have you reflected at all even more about like how, how that all played out? Yeah, how much time do you have to unpack 1931? No, no. To, today's, today's the 23rd. I was checking the date. Today is 1931. Tomorrow would be uh, 20 and 31, which is, you know, wow. the first step toward a really good ending. Um, so I don't know. When you reflect on it now since you've left, like, does anything else like sort of crystallize or like get clearer of like how that all played out? I think it gets more crazy, to be honest. Like the, the farther removed I get from it, the more perspective that you have, you, you really realize like, I mean, I know like May 24th, it's not even Memorial day weekend. Like it's still the first, you know, quarter of the season or whatever, but it, like it's 12 games under 500. And like we pulled that off <laughs> and like, yeah. Um, yeah, um, it's funny, like talking, talking to the guys here, like during spring training, they were saying like uh, because we when I say we right now I'm talking about the Nat 2019 Nats. We right after we hit that rock bottom, the, we the Nats came here to the Reds. We played like we it was like two or three series later we came here. We had we had just started rolling. That's when Max pitched the day game and he was angry because we were wearing navy blue jerseys during the day. So he had a little bit of extra fire out there because it was it was really hot and we were wearing dark jerseys. So Max was a little angry that day. Um, so sorry to the Reds players that had to feel that wrath. But um, that's kind of – they were like, oh, we played you guys like right after you just started turning it around. And they were like, then we played you guys again like later in the summer. It might have been like August. And they were like, you guys scored like 10 runs in all the games that we played you guys, you guys were like a completely different team. And it's like, yeah, I mean, that's kind of what it felt like is that it was two completely different seasons. Um, even though the, the guys on the team were, it was kind of the same group. We didn't really shuffle too much, but like um, something happened. And, and that's the other question is like, everybody's like, well, what happened after that? Like, how'd you guys turn it around? And it's like, we just, we just did uh, like we had a bunch of team meetings, but like, I don't remember really what that like Eureka moment was. I mean, we came off that, off that four game sweep in New York, took three or four from the Marlins and we're kind of off and running. Like it just goes to show that like, you just got to keep grinding it out. And in a season now where we're back to 162, like it's very, it's, it's a marathon again. Like, um, we just had a rough stretch with the, with, with the giants, like, we ran into the best team in the national league and we got swept. Like we were in three or four of those games and, and they could have gone either way. Like, and yeah, it stings like walking, walking home after the game, you just got swept by you. And now you're four games under 500. It, it stinks. But like, we got a lot of time. Left. We got a lot of baseball left to play. We got a lot of baseball left against our division. Um, so like, I think we might be like an inspiration to like other teams, that 2019 team. They're like, well, the Nats did it. It's like, yeah, that was a special group, but like, it's possible. Sure. And last one for me, um, the last couple of years, do you have like a area out in the bullpen at Nats Park where you've been like plotting how to get Juan Soto out? I picture you with like strings and like photos and all this stuff, but have you thought about <laughs> facing him? <laughs> <laughs> 
like yeah the, the red strings there's like there's like a strike zone box and i'm like i'm like trying to like all right yeah um, i'm not sure if it's worth like losing any sleep over how to get Juan Soto out like he he might be that good that it's yeah. like um you know you have a game plan going into that at bat uh, but like he's he's that good so it's like um I haven't thought that much about it. I'm not going to think about it right now because we got to play the Brewers today. Sure. So we got an off day tomorrow. So I'm, I'll start thinking about it tomorrow for real. Um, but uh, I've been keeping an eye on them for sure <laughs> so far this year. 